program on this Tuesday morning. It's the 28th of November. We'll start with the weather around Sydney for today and the next couple of days, especially with the Gulf heading our way. There's lots of rain around, but hopefully it'll back off and clear away by Thursday, the start of the Australian Open. So today, rain developing, maximum of 24 in the city and 25 out west. There's a 95% chance of up to 30 millimetres of rain, so it's going to get wet. And a possible storm tomorrow, around about the same kind of numbers, but a little bit more muggy tomorrow. Then Thursday, the temperature starts to climb, partly cloudy in 28, and then Friday, 29, and some showers hovering around on Saturday or Sunday. So just in pure golfing terms for the Australian Open, it looks as though when tournament play gets underway on Thursday, we should be okay. It might be a little bit up and down, but should be okay. It's a good thing that the Australian Open isn't starting today or tomorrow. On that front, we'll chat with Steph Kiriakou this morning, who's back in Australia and returning to the Australian Open, playing a uh, practice round this morning out at the Lakes, which is her home club. She's a great story, 23 years of age, and I reckon she's one of the one of the many stories that comes out of this Australian Open and being able to pair up the men's and women's and all abilities as well. Back in 2020, Steph won the Australian Ladies Classic as an amateur up at Bonville. She shot 63 along the way, which would have been a course record, but they were playing preferred lies. So that didn't count. But the victory counts, absolutely. And it counts as a European Tour victory. Two days later, she turned pro. So two days earlier, she could have won about 60 grand in prize money. But two days later, she turns pro. And of course, COVID wreaks havoc on the world of sport, on the world and the world of sport. So she sort of had to bide her time a little bit there and then goes back through the European Tour to win in 2021 the Dutch Ladies Open, which is known as the Big Green Egg Open, um, gained her LPGA Tour card through the qualifying school, has had top tens in some of the majors, and here she is out at the Australian Open this weekend. Like I say, some wonderful storylines out there at the Australian and the Lakes this week and we'll follow them for you and looking forward to that chat from Steph. We might also get a few uh, tips as well. If she's out on the course this morning, we'll get some tips and see if we if we all, I mean, we all need help, right? Any golfer, whether you're good, bad or indifferent, we all need help. And I figure when we've got professionals on the line, we should ask for that help. 0457 736 736 is my text line this morning. 1300 1170 is my open line this morning and for the last few weeks we've been doing curveball tuesday where we batter batter swing batter it away and what i what we want to do here is you pick up the phone there it is you pick up the phone you give me a call and let's see if we get a hit or a miss so let me know your hits and misses in the world of sport on curveball tuesday i'll have a swing at them and we'll see where we end up in terms of the summer of golf i reckon it's a hit so far so there's no doubt about it that golf has been a massive curveball around the world over the last few years. So from COVID into live and all the stuff that's been going on. But I reckon the summer of golf in Australia, which has been left behind because we're so far away with such a wonderful history, has definitely bounced back. There's no doubt about it. I, I really think that Australian audiences don't give a hoot whether you're playing on live or you're playing on the PGA Tour or the European Tour, the DP World Tour, whatever it is. I just reckon Australian golf fans and Australian sports fans like to see the big names out here 
and love their golf. So for me, Curveball Tuesday, the summer of golf is a hit. Have you got a pitch that you want to throw at me on a hit or miss factor when we look at golf? Tess Madgen will also join me from the Sydney Flames and the Opals, of course. So we'll talk basketball with Tess. Simon Hill, there's some news that I'll bring you around the Matildas. And Lisa Kitely from the Sydney Thunder WBBL team, of course, the coach there as they go into the finals. The other issues in Curveball Tuesday that I want you to throw at me. Netball Australia, I'll get to that in just a sec, but I'm just going to start by saying it's massive miss, huge miss. They're not even close to the plate, Netball Australia. They are throwing down balls that are dead set hitting their own feet. They're not making it that far to be curving. And you'll understand the reasons why in just a second. What about the Formula One season of dominance from Red Bull? Is it a hit or a miss? Well, the Formula One season, really, was it a hit or a miss in your opinion. Throw that curveball at me and let's see what you think about that. The Kiwis coaching job, Tony Kemp on this program yesterday, you had a lot to say about Kempy's thoughts around Michael Maguire and the state of play there and the conflict of interest. It's made news since Tony's comments on this program yesterday. I think it's this way. Now, this is sort of standing in the middle here of this one, but I reckon that they've missed with Michael Maguire, but they think they've got a hit by negating the conflict of interest. So really on that that one, to me, it depends on which side of the plate you're on. <laughs> I think it's a miss with Madge, but they think it's a hit because they don't want that situation, and that's their prerogative. And what about your NRL club's recruitment for next season? Hit or a miss? We're starting to know who's there and who's not, and some final late changes Kurt Capewell, perhaps, at the Warriors. Hit or miss, let me know. So it's Curveball Tuesday. We have a bit of fun, but why don't you just test me out this morning? one three hundred oh one eleven seventy. It's It's a really good challenge. I get to know what you're thinking. I give you my thoughts, and we see if we're going to hit or miss. I've got a Signet Boost power bank to give away for the best caller on that, or you can text me 0457 736 736. Of course, the open line number... One three hundred oh one eleven seventy. Now in netball, former Diamonds captain Liz Ellis has had her say on this whole scenario. Not to mention the absolute no-brainer when it comes to the Australian Netball Players Association being at loggerheads with headquarters and the awards night. Now I'll say this: if Liz Ellis is having her say about the state of netball in Australia, Netball Australia needs to listen and listen hard. We're talking about one of the greatest players the game has ever seen, one of the greatest ambassadors the game has ever seen. A very smart lady and she should be heard because they have royally stuffed this up. So, some background. Netball Australia and the Players Association are at loggerheads over that collective player agreement. So rugby league fans, we've been through this all throughout the season where the Rugby League Players Association and the NRL were at loggerheads. So it's been going on in netball as well. Players have been unpaid in netball for eight weeks. Two months, no pay. Then we get to the Australian Netball Awards on Saturday night. While all of this is going on, and let's not forget, this didn't just pop up on Saturday morning. This has been going on for months. 
the Australian Netball Awards where some Diamonds players, Australian representatives, weren't going to attend in protest of what's been going on, were forced to go because they received legal threats saying they were obligated to do so. Now, if that's not bad enough, Liz Ellis couldn't attend to present the Liz Ellis Diamond Award. Yeah, the award named in her honour after Netball Australia stuffed that up as well. Courtney Bruce won the award and it was presented by another former captain in Annie Sargent, but Liz Ellis couldn't be there. We're talking about the player who is the most capped international for Australia, 122 caps, four years as captain, three world championships, two Commonwealth Games gold medalists. Like I've said, a very respected voice in the game. Now, she's taken to um, the public platforms to say exactly what happened. And here's what Liz said about Saturday night. For the avoidance of doubt, I want to put on the record that I was sent an invitation to the event on the 3rd of November, which was the deadline for RSVPs. Just let that one soak in. I was assured that I could ignore the RSVP deadline. However, given that I'd been given no prior notice of the date on which the award named after me was to be handed out, I'd already committed to another event that night. Ellis then wrote an email to the event organiser and Netball Australia CEO Kelly Ryan expressing her disappointment. And according to Lizzie Ellis, Miss Ryan's response was that she apologised for the oversight. <laughs> Honestly, apologised for the oversight for failing to let Liz Ellis know when the awards night was being held and then sending her an invite on the day that the RSVPs were to expire. Sorry about that. That's a bit of an oversight. Had a bit going on. She then said, my disappointment and embarrassment at not being able to attend turned to anger when I was made aware that current Diamonds players and their advisers were threatened with possible legal action if they didn't attend the dinner. As a former Diamonds captain, I cannot believe that the governing body of the sport I love would treat its Diamonds athletes who are brilliant role models and ambassadors for netball with such callous disregard. Now, I've known Liz Ellis for quite a while, and I know one thing. She doesn't just throw words out there for the sake of it. And if she thinks that they are being treated with callous disregard, then Netball Australia needs to listen real quick. As she said, these are women who have not been paid in eight weeks, who are fighting for fair paying conditions, not just for themselves, but the players who come after them. So yet again, netball finds itself in the headlines for the wrong reasons. Another crisis of the sport's own making. This has happened so often in recent times, the question must be asked whether Netball Australia is capable of providing the leadership the sport so desperately needs. The answer to that is flat out no. Whether Netball Australia is capable of providing the leadership the sport so desperately needs, if they can get that wrong, what on earth are they going to get right, you would wonder. Liz Ellis has had a say. Netball Australia needs to listen. That's a kerfuffle of the highest order, and it didn't need to happen, but pure mismanagement has led to that. 0457 736 736. Then we get to cricket, the WBBL final start tonight. So we've got the Brisbane Heat against the Sydney Thunder at the WACA ground over there in Perth. So the Thunder finished fourth. 
They won six of their first seven matches, but then lost five of their last six at the back end. And had they beaten the Sydney Sixers, they would have hosted the Challenger final. They wouldn't have had to have gone to Perth. Instead, they lost to the Sixers, went straight to the airport, jumped on a flight, went to Perth. And that's where they've been preparing since yesterday. If they win that, of course, they stick around in Perth and play again on Wednesday night. And if they win that, they head to Adelaide and take on the Strikers. And a little change at the Adelaide Oval, the famous scoreboard at the Adelaide Oval, which has gone sort of unnoticed but has been reported. In the last few days, in fact, ahead of last Friday's WBBL matches there and Saturday's final, they made a change replacing the word batsman on the scoreboard with batting or batters to align with the recent changes to the laws of cricket. Scoreboard goes all the way back to 1911. It's absolutely beautiful. But the laws of cricket were officially amended in 2021 to include gender-neutral terms batter and batters rather than batsmen and batsmen. So it's got batting up there. And, of course, laws were changed, so fieldsmen were replaced by fielder as well. What do you think about that? I've got no problems with it whatsoever. Makes complete and absolute total sense to me for a sport that has male and female players. It's a no-brainer. But I'm sure a lot of people will get all fired up about it. And guess what? Most people didn't even know about it. Really, really interesting. Sam Kerr is going to miss the Matildas matches against Canada. So we've got two matches, two friendlies, um, Saturday and then following Wednesday. Both of those are in Canada. But Sam has been ruled out against the number 10 team in the world, a foot injury. She's been replaced by Sarah Hunter, which will be her first call-up to the senior national team. There are injuries galore. Mackenzie Arnold's got an arm injury. Charlotte Grant with a hamstring. Holly McNamara, ACL, all out. And, of course, Canada are the reigning Olympic gold medalists. And we've played them quite often. The match will also see the farewell of their legend, their captain and all-time great Christine Sinclair, who's going to retire from international football at the age of 40. She has scored more international goals, men's or women's, than anyone else. 190 in 327 games. So that's some news out of the world of football. We'll touch on all of that with Simon Hill. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy 1170 is the open line number. So it's Curveball Tuesday, some hits and misses. Who's hitting? Who's missing? Can you give us a curveball that makes us ponder the world of sport and maybe answer your questions? Let me know. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy 1170 is that open line number or 0457-736-736. This is SEN, your home of sport in Sydney, right here on 1170 AM. Welcome back. Uh, former Australian captain Tim Payne has reacted quite unusually to an article by Crash Craddock and then a further discussion that Crash had with Jared Waitley on SEN about, well, it was under the headline, how Australian cricket captain Paddy Cummins shattered the theory that fast men can't think quick. He then says it took Australia 836 tests and 144 years to discover a stunning fact. A fast bowler can actually captain a cricket team. Cummins now has the World Test Championship, Ashes 50-over World Cup in the Cabinet as gold-plated proof that bowling fast and thinking fast are not mutually exclusive skills. Incredibly, the only fast bowler to captain Australia in a test before Pat Cummins, as we know, is Ray Linwell, who did it once back in 1956. And he said, you cannot reshape history, but you wonder whether Australia would have done things differently if they knew what they did now. 
that the right man can do both jobs. So let's have a listen to Crash on Jared's show and then you'll hear Tim Payne's response on his show down in SEN Tassie. Here's Crash Craddock first up. During World Series cricket, Jeff Thompson was a fabulous team bonder. He could have done it instead of Bob Simpson in parts. Uh, Jeff Lawson was the best Sheffield Shield captain I've ever seen. Attacked all the time. Wonderful. I felt there were times he could have done it when Kim Hughes was captain. Keith Miller, debonair, refused to give him the captaincy because they thought he was a loose cannon. Yes. That's true. He was. <laughs> but, but, hey, loose cannons sometimes work. When he captained Queensland, a, a, mate, a, a guy I know who played more than 100 games for Queensland said Tom was his favourite captain because he was... Uh, you know, he was just sort of, people played for him. They loved him. And that's a big part of it. Right. So he goes through those, and and he did that in his article as well. Keith Miller, Jeff Lawson, Alan Davidson, Jeff Thompson as well. The Tomo part is what's hit a nerve with Tim Payne, with Brett Costello on his program down in SEN Tassie. What are you staring at me like for? Is that a serious question? Yes. Jeff Thompson. Mate, I'm just reading it. Who wrote that? Did you sit up last night thinking about that? Jeff Thompson captaining Australia. No, I didn't. No, I was just reading what was put in front of me this morning. Wow. <laughs> What's wrong, Tim? Well, who knows? Yeah, there could have been some amazing captains that have missed out in the past, but I think we've had some pretty good ones also in that era. I mean, who was Jeff frosty Thompson? Frosty about this. Who was Jeff Thompson going to captain out of AB? He's frosty. Ahead of AB, was he? Bit of nerve here, Hammer. I'd, I've always said wicket keepers, batters, spinners, fast mm. bowler, it doesn't matter. Jeez. Just get the best man. And I think most of the time we, we have. Hit a real and Pat nerve. is another one. <laughs> Hit a real nerve, all right. What Tim's trying to say there is, I mean, he's, he's dumbfounded that he thinks Tomo could be in the conversation mostly because of those who were around him at the time. As Robert Craddock says... Think Tomo and you think raw pace, raw words, a man of action. But when captaining the Queensland Sheffield Shield team, he was a deceptively good leader who had one great quality which bankrolled this every move. His players loved him. The closest he got to the test captaincy was when all of his mates were signed up by Kerry Packer. And, of course, he later joined and he was Bob Simpson's vice-captain in the West Indies. So you think about those players. He also throws Jason Gillespie into the mix as well. You think about... Tomo and Dizzy Gillespie, back to Alan Davidson. You think of Jeff Lawson, Keith Miller, um, and those kind of players that Crash is throwing out here, obviously that's it's focused on the fast bowlers in this conversation, but what about those who could have and should have captained Australia? I mean, Shane Warne has to be at the top of that list, and Shane Warne and Keith Miller are definitely sort of eye-to-eye almost <laughs> in the reason why. Overlooked for the very same reasons, as Crash said. The loose cannon, as you heard him talk there. Even simply leading by example as a skillful fast bowler and cavalier batsman would have been a major source of inspiration to his troops. So what's the criteria, you reckon, to be the Australian skipper? Because Pat Cummins has broken through that fast bowler's glass ceiling, so to speak. So that's done and dusted so we can take one criteria that might have been there that said you couldn't be the Australian captain what about the ones that say you should or you could think fast be brave be professional the way that they've done it over there in the ODI World Cup is 
right in front of us. It's an interesting debate to have 0457 736 736. Lachlan McCurdy from Code Sports is going to join us. He's at the SCG, um, New South Wales Blues against Tasmania today in the uh, Sheffield Shield. So we'll get the latest in the world of cricket from Lockie McCurdy. We'll also keep our eyes on NFL. We've got one game starting today, and that's the Minnesota Vikings against the Chicago Bears. So it won't start for another two and a half hours or thereabouts. Vikings six and five, Bears three and eight. And some NBA this morning starting at 11 o'clock with one, two, three, four games uh, to be played this morning. So we'll give you all the scoring updates there. We'll also chat with Steph Kiriakou ahead of the Australian Open. So she'll be my guest a little bit later on in the program. Tess Madgen, Simon Hill and Lisa Kitely as well. one three hundred oh one eleven seventy is our open line number. It's Curveball Tuesday, folks. Hit or miss. See if you can throw something down at me. I'll take a good swing at it. And let's see what the outcome is. Here's the news. Cricket Australia has just announced its player of the tournament for the WBBL and the Young Gun as well. And Kamari Atapatu from the Sydney Thunder has been named the player of WBBL 09. It's her fifth season. She's had an outstanding season, 511 runs at 42.58 and also been very solid with the ball as well. As we talk more cricket with Lockie McCurdy from Code Sports, who's on the line at the SCG. G'day, Lockie. Good morning, Matty. Good to be with you. How is it out there at the uh, SCG ahead of the Sheffield Shield today? Look, it's a, it's a little bit gloomy. Uh, can't lie there. I don't know how much cricket we're going to get over the next four days because the forecast isn't looking great, but the players are all on the field warming up and in pretty good spirits. So it should be a, a good game ahead. All right. So we've got about an hour until start. So it's scheduled to start at 10.30. So it looks as though the next couple of days are going to be like that. Mate, I checked the... Weather earlier, and it's just going to be sort of rain today, mm-hmm. rain tomorrow, and, and let's see how much they can get. Um, your reaction there to the news that just came in in that ad break, actually, about the WBBL, the player of the tournament, um, the young gun as well in um, Charlie Knott. So we've got Kamari Atapatu has had a, a brilliant season, and you wonder whether Sydney Thunder would be in the position they're in at the moment, Lockie, if, if she wasn't in the team. Absolutely. She has been a formidable signing to think that she was passed over in the initial sort of international player draft. And she comes in as their fourth player, plays the first game and makes uh, the most of her opportunity. She's won multiple player of the match awards and just batting without fear at the top of the order. And I think a lot of the, the impact that she's had has also been off the field. She's a fantastic character around the team. So, no, she certainly made her presence felt and it's great to see her finally making the most of uh, an opportunity in the WBBL. I'll be speaking with Lisa Kitely a little bit later on. And, of course, things could have been so different for the Sydney Thunder. Um, the last couple of years have been so lean. So the position they're in right now is is a very good position. They finished fourth on the table. The start of their season was brilliant, like literally a season of two halves, mate, wasn't it? The start of their season was perfect. Um, they won six of their first seven matches and there was one no result in there. But then the back end of the tournament fell away massively and they just just made it into the finals. Yeah, you're right. They did enough. It was uh, it was all on display on Sunday here at the SCG as well, where if they had won, they would have finished second and hosted the home final. But they also packed their bags knowing that a loss meant they were flying to Perth that night, and that's exactly what they did. So, yeah, I, I think they would have taken this um, at the start of the season, considering they only had the one win last year. And it's just all been about the, the experience and the leadership that they've brought into the group. They, they realised that that was a key area of weakness. They 
brought Heather Knight back, the English skipper who has been superb, not just batting-wise, but as a leader among the group. You've got Shamari Adepato and Marizan Cap, two very experienced players. And then around the group, you had Lisa Kitely coming back. They had Belinda Clark around the group and Alex Blackwell and a few others as well. So, yeah, they've really transformed the group. And you think maybe this is the sort of thing, okay, they're in finals now. They limped over the line, but now they're there. They've got the sort of team that could disrupt anyone. Which is the kind of thing that Lisa, I'm sure, will be focusing on, you know, that, that reset. Right, mm-hmm. uh, season's the season, but now it's down to the finals. Are you a fan of the Eliminator into the Challenger into the final? Because it means that either Brisbane or Sydney, if they want to win this thing, they're going to have to win three games in six days. Two of those will be played back-to-back in Perth and then a short hop across to Adelaide. Uh-huh. I'm not the biggest fan of the final series. I don't mind the Eliminator because I, I like the idea that 3v4 is getting you straight through. But for me, it's just that the team that finishes second, in this case Perth, they're playing, basically playing an elimination final as well. They don't get the second chance. So it just feels like there's a little bit of a an unequal reward for so much heavy emphasis on finishing first and then second, third, fourth, that basically lose and, and you're out. Um, so for me, I'd like to go back to a... Play one v two one v two first. They they get to win or host the the, the big grand final, and then you go three v four to the loser plays the winner and go through that way. That just feels like it makes more sense in the long run. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with that. I mean, it's you're right. When you look at the snapshot there, if you finish second, you go well. What's what's the benefit? The the benefit is I've got a home mm-hmm. final, but it's in a home elimination final. You, you're right. There's no second chance there, but. That would take away the fancy marketing, mate, that uh, BBL could say <laughs> eliminate a challenger and final, wouldn't it? So in terms of what you're going to witness, hopefully some sort of, you know, lots of cricket ahead of you, but in terms of New South Wales versus Tasmania and the turnaround for where the Blues have been in particular, what's the expectations out there at the SCG? Well, there's been a big kind of squad surprise. We've also saw uh, Curtis Patterson dropped earlier in the in the season, but we've also seen Dan Hughes come out of the team, and it's opened up the door for a young teenage um, batting prodigy in Sam Constance, who's been kind of the talk of junior New South Wales cricket for a couple of years, and he's looking primed to, to make his debut today. So he'll come in in the top half of the order, and it could be one of those careers where you go, okay, this is where it all started at the SCG uh, on a sort of a gloomy day in November, but he's certainly looks to be the, the kid who's got all the the skills to kind of make it in cricket. So I think he's going to be the big one to watch today. Yeah, and what's his story? So he's only 18, isn't he? In fact, I think he only just turned 18. Mm. So he's, he's very, very young. Um, and what Cricket Australia has done very well, I reckon, especially at the national level, is say with Cameron Green, they always knew that he was going to be part of that setup, And they kind of did jump the gun, but when they got him there, they just helped him along the way because they know that it can go it can go sour pretty quickly. So Sam's already played under 19s for Australia. They've got mm. they've they've got the wraps on him and they've got their eyes on him. So what's his story? Yeah, so he's come through the the Sutherland system um, down there, and obviously we we know that there's been some great cricketers, none more so than a Steve Smith who come through sort of that um, grade cricket route, but he, he became the, the first player in Sutherland history to kind of score a thousand runs across all grades in his first season. And to think he's doing that as a teenager kind of shows you the level that he's at. Um, you can probably hear some claps in the background. That's a, a baggy blue presentation now. So, um, yeah, it's fantastic to see that 
there's someone who's a, a kid getting his um, dues at, at this age. I know it's being a, a bit of a criticism about New South Wales that they're going a bit too much in use, but when you've got a kid who's going to be this good and you don't hear the word prodigy used as much about one kid as you have in this kid in New South Wales. So, yeah, it's going to be exciting to see how he goes. All right, let's hope he gets some um, some good play out there. Just a quick one before I let you go. I, mm. I played the audio of Tim Payne's reaction to Crash's comments about the Australian captain debate and fast bowlers, and Tim Payne was like, oh, what do you mean Jeff Thompson comes up in this discussion? What, what have you made of all of that? <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting one. I think Pat's kind of definitely broken the mould and probably forces a bit of a revisionism in terms of how we view other potential captains. But I think it shows that the overall feeling that fast bowlers couldn't captain was generally wrong. I think we've had some fantastic captains, and I don't know we would have changed many captains over the years. I think we've had some really good leaders, but it just shows that, especially going forward, I think we can be more broad in who we look at in terms of leadership experience. We don't have to count out people because they kind of hold certain roles in the team. Yeah, absolutely. Good on you, mate. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Enjoy the beautiful SCG and let's see what plays out there and we'll we'll stay in touch. Anytime. Thanks, Matty. He's a good man. Lachlan McCurdy there from Code Sports. So New South Wales against Tasmania today. Jackson Bird, Nathan Lyon, Moses Enriquez, Chris Green. So we've also got the first test of the summer, Australia v Pakistan. It's only 16 days away at Optus Stadium. <laughs> So 16 days, the the gift that keeps on giving. Actually, where are we at in terms of the T20 series? When, when's the next one there? Let me have a quick look. I think it's tomorrow, isn't it? Uh, tomorrow. Yep, tomorrow morning. So match number three, and then another one on Saturday, and then another one on Monday. So 12.30 a.m. start for that, and within just about, just over two weeks, we'll be into test cricket again, which I cannot wait for. One three hundred oh one eleven seventy is my open line number. It's Curveball Tuesday. You got any curveballs you want to throw at me in any way, shape, or form? Off any sport you want to have a crack at? Let me know your thoughts on that. We'll do that after the break. It's Tuesday morning, Curveball Tuesday, where you can throw anything at me. We can see if we have a hit or a miss. Uh, some of those topics that are on the table, well. Netball Australia, as I've said this morning, just couldn't have missed any more the way that they've been going. I understand the financial problems that may be in front of them. This is a little bit of a different one. I think it shows a severe lack of leadership there. The summer of golf, hit or a miss so far. Formula One, where do you think that rates? And your club's recruitment for 2024, you can let me know this morning or you can just throw a nice little curveball at me. And in keeping with what Vossi and the Missile were talking about this morning, some of the listeners wanted to know my top five in terms of sports that I like. Um, I've got a five in order of appearance. If you can guess them one through to five, we'll send you a Signet Boost power bank. And that means that Tommy's back too. Yes, Crime Scene says, Tommy's back. I missed you, Tommy. Yeah, he came back yesterday. I managed to get out um, yeah, get out of WA. Well, they let him out, really. So <laughs> he's back, which means we've got a Signet Boost power bank. He's got a whole stack of them. Curveball from PG. I'm a Shark supporter. I don't think we're a hit or a miss. I think we're a ball one because we haven't recruited anyone, not one player. Well, PG, listen to this. The Cronulla Sharks and the Canterbury-Bankstown Bulldogs have agreed on a player swap. So Connor Tracy's deal with Canterbury is set to be rubber stamp. The Sharks and Bulldogs have agreed to swap a rising star. This one from David Riccio and Michael Carianis.
So it's understood that the Sharks have identified Michael Gabriel as the player that they want from Canterbury in order to let Tracy go on an immediate release. Gabriel is an outside back on a development deal with the Doggies for next year before being promoted into their top 30 squad. The Sharks gave Tracy permission to talk with rival clubs despite having that 12 months left on his deal because they couldn't guarantee him a starting position. Tracy told Cronulla he wanted to go to the Dogs despite significant interest from St George Illawarra and he'll now sign a three-year deal with the Bulldogs and join their backline from next season which means the Sharkies will have close to $500,000 available in their salary cap space as well as getting the youngster from the Bulldogs, who's been touted as a future star. So there you go, PG. Um, It's a swap at the moment, and there's also, what, half a million bucks or close to half a million bucks available in the cap space. Um, When the Canterbury Club re-signed Gabrielle in January, Phil Gould said on Twitter that he was a good kid, this one. Played for City under-18s early this year against country. Was also part of Canterbury's SG ball team. So a little bit of moving and shaking going on there, as we always know in the world of rugby league. So maybe the next question, PG, is if I say to you, right, you've now got close to half a million bucks. You got anyone you want to earmark? Anyone you want to have a crack at? Anyone you think is out there that you could get for 500000 or do a deal that includes that 500000 Adam for Newell Blake? Possibly. Not next year, but the year after. So the Warriors are going to let him return to Sydney. It's got to be a Sydney club from what we hear. So maybe that opens up the space there. Alongside Matt Moylan being let go to Super League. So Tracy, Moylan, Cash Cash, maybe you're looking further down the track. So I'll throw that one to you, mate. Back back to you, PG. A little bit of movement as you, uh, as you requested. Top five sports, the Reptile says, motor racing, rugby league, horse racing, cricket, rugby union, tennis. You've got four out of the five, but not in the order. Um, rugby union slash tennis doesn't make my top five. Uh, ML from Nunda in Brisbane says, Maddie, NRL, cricket, motorsports, AFL and football slash soccer. You've got three of the top five and you've got the first two in order. So I'll give you my first two. Rugby league or footy and cricket. That's what I grew up playing. That's what I absolutely love. Baseball was always there as well, but footy and cricket are, are it for me. Footy in the winter, cricket in the summer. I, I absolutely love them. So that's one and two. So three, four and five. I'll let you try and work out. Oh four five seven seven three six seven three six. As we know, the Australian summer of golf um, returns again, this time to the Australian and the Lakes off the back of the PGA at Royal Queensland. We've now got ourselves the Australian Open. And in just a minute, I'll be talking with Steph Kiriakou, who is back again um, after being out there on the World Tour, LPGA Tour, and a two-time winner on the European Tour. I'll get to that in just a sec, because the Warrior Holic is on the phone, listens in from uh, Japan. Good morning to you, Warrior Holic. G'day, Matty. It's good to, good to be hearing you from the land of the rising sun. Um, <laughs> good to hear you too, mate. What are you thinking? <laughs> yep. 
Um, interesting one is Kirk Capewell came out of nowhere, didn't it, over the weekend? Um, it wasn't something I was expecting, but I did hear Andrew Webster in an interview on SEN um, in New Zealand a little while back talking about how they still wanted to add depth to the um, back row to replace Curran and Cero, so not surprising, but, yeah, I didn't see him coming. Pretty happy, though. Yeah, I, I bet you would be. I mean, Kirk Capewell brings much more, uh, brings a lot more, I should say, than just what he can do on the field as well. And in terms of that club, and for those that are going to leave, you need a player like that, don't you? I, I reckon when I heard it, Warrior Holic, I went, oh, OK, that kind of makes sense to me, that that kind of player in that kind of system yep. under that kind of coach and the connection that they've got, yeah, it makes sense to me. The key for me is as long as we're not paying overs, and I do um, rate the fact that Webby won't pay overs. Um, but the other one that just um, caught my eye, as you mentioned, about the Sharkies here freeing up some cap. Um, with, the, with the clubs we're looking at are trying to get AFB, there's not a lot there that we'd like, but I do like the fact that the Sharkies have a couple of um, props and Hamuelli and um, potentially Rudolph that I think would add something to our pack if they were to do a trade. So that's something I'm a little bit curious about. Yeah. Yeah, well, they're freeing up money. Um, I think the interesting thing about the Adam Fanua Blake one is that it's it's narrowed itself down, or he's narrowing it down to the Sydney clubs. So, you know, sometimes Warrior Holic, when players, when big name players go onto the market, everyone's in it, right? So, yeah, all the other sixteen clubs, they've got money, they're going to go for it, go for it, go for it. But this one sort of narrowed itself down. So, I reckon that's going to be an interesting one too. And I also wonder how long that situation will last. If they can get a deal done um, earlier, do they make the move earlier? I know they want to keep him for another season, but once a player... once I reckon it's just human nature. I've been in this position in work. Once you commit to something else, it's very, very difficult to stay fully committed where you are. Now, I'm not saying that, that that's the case with Adam Fanua Blake. I think they're going to try and see it out, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it changed. I posted exactly the same thing. Look, I expect him to be there because I feel like this is a bit of a window. We've got Tohu potentially for his last season. SJ, they could give it a good crack, and I think AFB is a big part of it. But um, it wouldn't surprise me if they could come up with you know a, a pretty solid trade there. That we need two props, not just one. So if we could somehow come up with two for one, um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it happens this year. But I wish him well. You know, I mean, I know what it's like to have um, sick parents when you're away overseas. So. I don't begrudge them, but I'm glad the club has played it the way they have. So I'm happy with our, yeah. our off-season mate, RTS. He's, he's back. Watch the Warriors in 24. <laughs> Good man. Thank you. Enjoy Tokyo. Appreciate you listening in and taking uh, the time to call, mate. Let's get to goal. Steph Kiriakou is back in Australia for the Australian Open, starting, of course, Thursday at the Australian and the Lakes, and joins us uh, this morning. Good morning, Steph. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Good morning. What's it like to be back home and, and back at the course and out there having a, a hit around? Oh, I'm stoked. I mean, I've never played in front of, like, a tournament this big in front of home crowds, so I'm actually quite excited. And it is my home course, so I'm sure I'm going to know a lot of the members that are coming out, some familiar faces. So, yeah, I'm pretty excited. Talk to me what it's like to come back from the LPGA Tour and back into the Australian summer of golf and what you've seen so far and in terms of golf coming back in this country. Um, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty excited to come home. I think it's good that uh, a few of the international players are coming back on the women's side. 
Um, but yeah, I'm just looking forward to playing in front of my friends and family, you know, take the things I've learned over the LPGA season and bring them back here. Um, yeah, and just see how I go. What did you learn on the LPGA Tour? I looked through your stats. I think you ended up playing 23 events, 22 or 23 events throughout the course of the year and some good finishes there as well. So the week-in, week-out grind, was it what you expected? Um, I think this year I was a little bit more prepared than last just because I knew what I was going into. Um, But honestly, it's pretty cliche, but like each week there's something like different that you learn about your game and I just feel like in golf you can never like you can always keep getting better there's always something you can get better at and this year for me it was a lot of the mental challenges um sometimes like on a on like a three-week stretch in that third week like it's harder for me to concentrate so just like little things like that is there a part of your game Steph that you want to work on but say say if your putting's not working right and and you want to work on that is there a part of that of that process that allows you to do it or have you just got to be tournament ready all the time and, and try and squeeze in work on certain parts of your game? Yeah, well, I think now at the stage I'm at in my career, um, I kind of just have tendencies. So, like, I always have the same problems technically. So if, if I'm putting bad one week or I'm hitting it bad one week, I kind of know the few things that it could be and then... Yeah, in the early stages of the week for the following tournament, you kind of just tweak those. And sometimes it doesn't work and sometimes it does. So you just got to play with what you got. <laughs> so what are you working on this week then? Um, I'm working on chipping because I think that it's going to be quite windy. So I have a feeling I'm not going to hit that many greens. So I'm just trying to get a feel for around the green so I can, you know, somehow save some pars. Okay, so look, I'm in this boat, and I'm sure heaps of our listeners are in this boat as well. I suck at chipping. I'll putt from like 40 metres out if if I can get a run onto it. So if you're working on your chipping, what? It, just give us a little heads up on what you're doing. Is it heads down? Is there a technique? Is there something that we can take out of this quick lesson on the radio? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> no, I'd say just something with tempo. Just keep the tempo smooth. That's what I'm working on, at least. I don't know yeah. if that'll help. <laughs> that's all right. I work on my tempo when I'm putting from, you know, 40 or 50 metres away. So hey, that's, sometimes that's, okay. that's a better option. I do that too. A hundred percent. Do you often go back or sometimes do you go back and think about um, that incredible weekend at Bonville back in 2020 when you won the ladies classic there? You were still an amateur. I think you turned pro just a couple of days after that. Do you go back and think about how all that played out for you and somebody who's been playing golf since you were a little kid and obviously wanted to be professional, how much your life spun around after that weekend? Yeah, I mean, I definitely have thought about it quite a bit because obviously during a COVID year as well, like that win, like done so much for me because the week later everything shut down. So, Mm. You know, I don't know when I could have gone to Q school, if I was going to be in the same form that I was in when I was one. Like, a lot of variables could have, like, changed my life completely. But I'm I'm pretty confident I would have ended up somehow back on the LPGA. But I'm glad I took the path that I did and play in Europe for a couple of years, get that experience under the belt. But, yeah, it's, it's actually pretty cool. <laughs> like, oh, it's a, it's how, a great story. 
it's a ripping yeah. story. You shot 63, didn't you? Was that the final round? And it, and it wasn't a course record because there were preferred lies. Uh, I think, yeah, I think that was the third round or the second round. And then I, I think I shot 65 on the last round. <laughs> Oh wow, what a what a weekend! Right, just a, a quick snapshot then of the Australian Open. Um, obviously, it's at the Australian plus the lakes. It's men's plus women's. It's it's a really unique weekend in Australian golf. So, have you have you sort of thought about what it means in the in the scheme of things for the game in this country, or are you just focused on your job? Honestly, I'm pretty focused on my job. Um, yeah, I've been like having a couple of stresses about some other things this week, so I haven't had much time to think about that. But I do know that playing alongside the men, it's going to promote women's golf in Australia a lot. Um, yeah, just because there's some big names with the men, there's big names with the women. You know, spectators can come out and see both games. It's, so I think it's going to be really good for us. Absolutely. Hey, thanks for your time this morning. I'll let you get back out there and get back to work and enjoy enjoy the uh, end of the week and the weekend as well. I will. Thank you. Don't forget, Flight Centre's big red sales on with limited time offers on flights, cruises, holidays and tours, and you can book now to save big. That's Flight Centre's big red sale. Let's do an NBA update for you while we've got a bit of time here. Uh, oh, you can't because they don't start for another 35 minutes. <laughs> Pistons v Wizards and then 76ers against the Lakers plus the Pacers and Trailblazers all starting at 11 o'clock. And then Jazz v Pelicans followed by the Clippers and the Nuggets. So when they do get going, I'll give you an update. NBA 2K24 is out now. We'll see you on the court for that one. Speaking of basketball, I'll catch up soon with Tess Madgen. We'll do that after the 10.30 news. Opal's captain, Sydney Flames, of course, first year with the Flames after signing a uh, two-year deal with the club. And they're also hitting the road. They're going to begin their three-day tour to Newcastle as part of a Harvey Norman roadshow starting this Friday. They'll be doing a whole stack of activations to promote women's basketball around the Hunter region. So we'll get a, an idea of what's going on there with Tess. It'll be a good chat. And mate, Kayla George was on the program a couple of weeks ago, and that was a lot of fun. They go way back, way, way, way back. 0457 736 736. Maddie, my top five says rough red, rugby league, motorcycle racing, cycling, and don't really care much about the others. Those three take up most of my time in season and in off-season. Us fans need a break as well. You kind of do, don't you? I mean, we, we've spoken about it often about the the downtime that used to be there and the definitive seasons. You had your rugby league season. You had your cricket season. That was kind of it, really. And then, you know, anything else that you put into that really didn't have all of that 24-7 attention and traction on it. Whereas now there's so many other sporting events going on and sporting coverage that you can get invested in it so easily. The Mortlake Tiger says, Maddie, for you, league, cricket, golf, motorsport, basketball. League and cricket one and two. Motorsport's in the top five. Golf and basketball didn't make it uh, in my five. I sort of did it, you know, I just went one through to five and just came up with whatever was in the top of my head. Mick says, league, cricket, motor racing, horses and golf. So close. Horse racing's in there as well. Uh, I'll tell you what it is. Although this one says, 
I think you like motorsport, then cricket, then rugby league, then water polo. Can't remember your last sport. <laughs> Mine is rugby league because of Souths, then AFL men's and women's because of the two Swans teams, and fifth, horse racing, says Nick. Look, water polo was something that I played when I grew up. When I was coming through school and I loved playing water polo and then continued to play afterwards, and I loved watching it at the Olympic level, I loved the game itself. So, But in terms of what my top five sports would be, water polo doesn't make it in everything else. And that, that changes too, especially when you go into the professional side of, of what I do where I talk about sport and commentate sport and host sport and do all that kind of stuff. Rob says, league, cricket, motorsports, golf and surfing. Um, yeah, look, golf could probably make it in there. I love surfing as well, but it wouldn't be in my top five. So here's my top five. I'm a footy and cricket bloke first and foremost, so one and two. And you probably flip them around depending on what the season is. But so you go rugby league and cricket. Then three for me would be swimming and in brackets, Olympics. I'm a huge fan of the Olympic Games, but I've always had swimming in my blood and I've always had it as part of a sport that I love. I love the history of swimming in this country as well. So I've got footy, cricket, swimming slash Olympics. Number four, horse racing. Again, that came in later for me in horse racing in a professional sense and then got the love of it as well. Um, I had a lot to do with the Melbourne Cup in particular when I was a young bloke working and more recently. So I just love the history of horse racing. I love, I've been an owner of horses and I love the whole atmosphere of racing. I, I in particular love the history and the romance of it. And number five is motorsport. So one footy, two cricket, three swimming slash Olympics, four horse racing and five motorsport. And a lot of you might want to know while we're talking about it, I had no motorsport bones in my body whatsoever growing up. I had no attachment to the world of motorsport, no history in motorsport, no family members involved in motorsport, never even went. Really my motorsport background or um, history just remembers being a young bloke watching the Bathurst 1000, the Hardy Ferodo 1000, the Tui's 1000, whatever it was at that particular time. That was it. That was the the absolute be and all, be all and end all for me in motorsport. And then when I started at Channel 10 and we then started to pick up a lot of motorsport and then obviously V8 supercars and everything else that came with it and I became heavily involved in that and I started to, you know, experience everything from 500ccs to, well, which became MotoGP, Formula One, of course, supercars, the lot. Everything was there, rally. And that was our home of motorsport. Billy Woods was leading the show. Lee Diffie was calling. I was working with Daryl Beattie, Rusty, all those guys. And I just love the whole thing. So that's where the love of motorsport comes from. Um, it was a purely professional one for me that came off the back of sports tonight and all that kind of stuff. So there you go. There's my top five on that one. We will take a break for the news. Tess Magin will join us. We'll talk basketball after this. The next game for the Sydney Flames will be next Wednesday against Adelaide as well. And they're hitting the road to do a bit of a roadshow, as I told you about, on a three-day tour to Newcastle. It's all part of the Harvey Norman Roadshow, promoting women's basketball around the Hunter region. I'm looking forward to this chat. Tess Madgen is on the line, joins us this morning. G'day, Tess. Hey, Maddie. Thank you for having me. 
Thank you for your time this morning as well. I'm going to find out what you guys are going to get up to as you go on a bit of a road tour. That's going to be a lot of fun, three days out there. So we'll talk about that in just a sec. But a snapshot of where you're at at the Flames. Five games played, two and three, so sitting sixth. Got a little bit of time in between now and the next match. So what's been the takeaway so far? Um, yeah, I think it was always going to be a slow start to the season. We had a very disruptive preseason with injuries. And then, obviously, Kayla George was over in America winning a WNBA championship. So the start of the season has been like a, you know, a preseason. We're building our chemistry. Um, you definitely don't win a championship in November. So we still have a bit of work to do, but um, the team's definitely moving in the right direction. How dare that Kayla George go and do that? I mean, I had her on my program a couple, of, <laughs> a couple of, and what I'm doing here, Tess, is giving you an opportunity to slag your best mate. So I had her on the program a couple of weeks ago, and it was so much fun. I had so much fun talking to her about the about the whole situation. But she also told me about, you know, your connection. You go all the way back as well, so it must be really cool to have somebody like that in the squad at the same time. Yeah, 100%. I mean, we both moved over from Melbourne Boomers last season and, um, you know, we both wanted to play together. And so I think we really wanted to build something special here um, with the Sydney Flames. And we saw what the Hoops couple have done um, with the Sydney Kings and we really want to help build build that culture and build um, a successful program with the Flames. Um, and so, yeah, I could, you know, Kayla and I have been playing together since under 12s. Um, and we've played, you know, in the WNBA, played for the Opals, um, won a WNBA championship, and we definitely want to do that again um, here with the Flames. So, you know, she is my best friend, and I absolutely love playing alongside of her. Righto. Okay, that's lovely. But 20 years together, right? Just about. <laughs> <laughs> and surely you're going to have to butt heads along the way. You're both competitive, both professional. You come through the system. Like, what happens when there's a tiff? What what happens when something doesn't go right on the court? <laughs> yeah, we definitely do butt heads. Um, you know, we both like to lead teams as well. So we definitely collaborate on that. And, um, of course, we're going to have differences of opinions at times. I think on the court, I'm very um, hard-headed and she kind of lets me say what I want there and then we'll discuss it after the game. So... We like leading in different ways. Um, I think we definitely complement each other, but always, always having conversations, I guess, to bring the best out of each other and the best out of our team. I know that you've spoken to Jimmy Smith on this network and I've spoken to Guy Malloy as well. We've, we've done a lot of sort of looking into the Sydney Flames setup and, and the reasons why you came along and, and why the others have come along with you. And there's certainly a philosophy behind everything you're trying to achieve, isn't there? And, and we've covered that at length, which I reckon is awesome. When you've got a philosophy that you've, you're trying to build and a culture that you want to build, how do you marry that up, Tess, against um, going for those results and knowing that sometimes the results aren't going to match the philosophy and the philosophy might come first or second. Does, does that make any sense where I'm heading there? Yeah, 100%. I think um, for any success to happen, you know, you do have to have that culture. And I think the connections that you build, they do take time. It takes time to build that connection, build that trust, not only with your teammates, but with the coach. And we do have a very... Um, new team, um, and so those connections might take some time, but you can't, you cannot have success without those connections. And um, I think 
because they do take time, it might take, you know, a couple more weeks and we would like to, to see the results on the court. But I think come finals, come February, come March, um, that's when they do pay off. And I've been on good teams and I've been on bad teams and, and the teams that definitely try to build that culture, um, you know, on and off the court are ultimately the ones that are successful and they're the most um, fun to play with um, and to play for. So I think first and foremost, that needs to come first. And I'm very um, thankful and grateful to be in an organisation that is, um, you know, putting that first and foremost and, and they have a strong sense of faith that the wins will come after that is established. So if you can achieve what you want to achieve at the Flames and by the time you get to the to the end of this whole Flames journey further down the road, I know that you've signed a second-year option as well. So um, if you get to that, where does that sit in what you've achieved in the sport? Because you've pretty much done the lot. <laughs> yeah, i definitely like to um, win another WNBL championship. So... That's what keeps me going. It, it's why I'm here. If I if I didn't believe that this organisation could do it, I would have chosen to play somewhere else. But I'm really passionate about building a really strong women's basketball team here in Sydney. I think it's extremely important for the game to grow in um, the whole of Australia. And I'm obviously very passionate about our national team as well. So the two things that are keeping me playing, keeping me motivated at the moment are winning another WNBL championship and playing for Australia um, at the Olympics next year. And how's the body? I know that you had a knee injury last year, wasn't it? And you ended up having surgery as well. So um, how's everything holding up? Yeah, it's going really well. I'm back on the court now. Um, I feel really great. The medical team at um, Sydney Flames is second to none. I've absolutely, you know, love working with the physios and strength and conditioning staff, the doctor, um, they're all really great and I feel very well resourced um, for all the players, not only me, to keep the body right and to have a really successful season. All right. So you guys are on the road. So starting this Friday, um, thanks to Harvey Norman, you're going to end up on a three-day tour up into the Hunter and into Newcastle as well. So public schools at Walls End and Charlestown, you'll do clinics there. Then you'll go into the Harvey Norman store, so take your bag and see if you can grab some stuff. Then you'll have an open training session and then you'll have the Newcastle Basketball Stadium where you'll have a clinic and a signing session as well. Um, I don't know how much time you've spent in in this part of the world of of the Hunter, but especially in Newcastle in particular, there's a a deep-rooted love of basketball and a great history of basketball in this area as well. So I reckon you're going to have your hands full. You must be looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm from a small country town in South Australia, so that's where I feel most at home. I I know the country kids, they're built different, sorry to all the city slickers out there, but it is great to um, go out there and show them some positive female role models. Um, You know, in country towns, you don't get get the exposure as much as you do in the city to these great role models we have in sports, so I'm super excited about that, um, it's one of the one of my biggest passions is being a positive role model and, and sharing um, healthy habits and how to have a healthy, successful life. Um, so I'm super passionate about that and getting out there to show them all about that. But then also, um, you know, Larry McSpadden, one of our Sydney Flames, is from the Hunter region. Um, we have Isla Jufferman who signed there for NBL One next season. We have Abby Kevin who played there last season as well. So. It is super exciting to be able to go home, showcase some real, um, 
you know, some real-class basketball talent. And there's been so many, um, you know, famous women's basketballers from that region as well. We've got Susie Bakovich, Katie Ray Ebsery, uh, played with Patsy McLean in Bendigo. So being able to connect with them and where they're from, I, I really can't wait. Awesome. So Friday schools, uh, Saturday you'll be at Newcastle's Harvey Norman store and Sunday an open clinic and signing session at the Newcastle Basketball Stadium in the morning. Thanks for your time this morning, Tess. Um, always great to chat with you. We really love getting an insight into what the Flames are up to and we'll obviously stay in touch throughout the course of the season. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Maddie. Absolute pleasure. Tess Madgen joining us there from the Sydney Flames. So, yeah, if you're in the Newcastle area, I know we've got quite a few listeners in the Hunter region. Look out because the Flames Roadshow is heading your way. Great chat, huh? Um, if you remember, we had Kayla on the program a couple of weeks ago and it was great, absolutely great fun. And she said to me, yeah, they go back to under-13s under-13s and they've been playing for the course of 20, 20 years in the game that they love. It's a cool, cool story. We need to take a break. Got your text coming through, uh, some reaction to my top five, so I'll get to your thoughts about that. Rooster Mars on the text line says, Whitey and Coins in further great news for the pride of the league. Uh, the Roosters he's talking about locking up the services of one of our unsung heroes, Nat Butcher. This bloke is captain. Material glory. Glory to the Roosters. Kindest regards, Rooster Muzz with Rooster emojis. If you didn't get the theme of that one. <laughs> yep, Nat Butcher um, extended now until 2027. Sunny Coast Dragon says, I agree with Warrior Holic that the Warriors will take two props for Adam Fanua Blake. I expect Dragons to offer the Molo brothers and some cash. Frank has played... Original and Mick was in the Prime Minister's team. Seems like a win-win. Mm. Uh, it's going to be interesting, the sort of, um, you know, the, the, the horse trading, so to speak, of what happens with Adam Fanua Blake. It's going to be a storyline. I don't know how happy you'd be if you're sitting around at the Warriors w- watching this one unfold because every week you're going to probably have to drag him in and say, mate, is your mind on the job? But... They've allowed him to do it, so they're going to have to play that out. Good morning, Matt. Knowing how many years and types of motorsports you work with, did you end up with a collection of merchandise and clothing, etc.? Great show this morning. Appreciate the kind words last week. That's from Cameron in Borkham Hills, um, who's been struggling with a bad back, Cam, and I know that surgery's around the corner. Um, you'd be pleased to know, Cameron, that I've, I was actually only just telling Tommy that I've, I've had the old um, massage gun... <laughs> I'm not in your situation, but I've had the old massage gun trying to get everything back in alignment and new orthotics and the lot. Back to your question about a collection of merchandise and clothing. That's well, Clothing, yes, because you end up with – but I mean, it's work clothing, right? So it's got, you know, more recently I've had a whole bunch of Stan Sport Speed Series gear, which is now no longer needed. So what do you do with that? You can't really walk down the main road with that. And in terms of merchandise, I've never been a merchandise person. So really the only thing that I've collected in 30-odd years of doing this gig is the things that I've, weirdly enough, never really liked, which is lanyards and, you know, passes. And I think I've shared this story before. You go to a Formula One event, you get your pass, you get your lanyard, it's got your name and you get your access and all that. Same with supercars, same with Olympics, the lot. Accreditation hangs around your neck. I've never been one of those people who likes wearing badges or stickers or things around my neck, but you've got to wear them. And what I started doing when I came home, I just, 
you know, chucked them on the table or put them in the office and I really hadn't known that my wife was collecting all of them. So we've got, I don't know how many, but they're lanyards from all over the years of things that I've covered, all different kind of sports, those that I've brought home. So <laughs> they're all there somewhere and at some stage I guess I'll sit down and have a good look at them. But in terms of merch things like that normally what i've done at events like that is i've gone if you know cam you're a mate and you say hey my my little bloke or my cousin or whatever or my nephew is a massive fan of marcus ambrose would you get something signed or mark weber and i'd go and do that for you so i've just never been one of those merchandise collectors top five maddie who would be the athletes that brought you to said sports from dan so this is a, an interesting one. So you've got your top five, which the boys were talking about this morning. I've given you mine. But then now let's attach the athletes, the players, or the scenario that led you to that sport. I reckon most of it was through school sport or family connection. But then if you think about, and Dan goes, say, rugby league, these are obviously yours, rugby league, Beaver Menzies, NFL, Tom Brady, NBA or NBL, Michael Jordan and Shane Heal. Boxing, Iron Mike Tyson and Cricket Warney. So that's really interesting because I look at that list and I'm happy with that top five, but none of those players, for instance, were maybe outside of Michael Jordan were responsible for bringing me to those sports. Rugby league, I was way back before that. So, you know, I grew up down at Brookvale Oval. So mostly for me, it was like Graham Eady, for instance, and then into Phil Blake. NFL, I was a huge Joe Montana fan. Uh, NBA, definitely Michael Jordan. I was working throughout that era and had the cool story of interviewing him back in 1995 over there in the US. In boxing, probably a little bit earlier than Mike Tyson and in cricket, definitely earlier than Warney. So who are the athletes then that got you into the main sport? Let's just go the one. If you want to go five, you can. But who are the athletes that piqued your interest in that sport as a young boy or girl who's grown up following that sport ever since. That's a really cool one, Dan. I appreciate that one. Matty, did you see part one of the Manly Doco that started last night on their YouTube channel, says the Western Sydney Eagle? Haven't seen it. I saw that they've done it, but I haven't had a look at it. So I'll take a little look-see, um, a bit of a behind-the-scenes, I think, there. So that's that's all I know for Western uh, about that Western Sydney Eagle. So if you know more, if you've seen it, what did you think of it, and what's it what's it about? What do they get into? It's called the Manly Way, and um, what was the Tales of Tiger Town? <laughs> Put it this way: if it was released last night and it hasn't got the kind of stuff that was going on after Tales of Tiger Town were released, then it's obviously. Um, not as controversial at the moment. Episode one, Tommy's telling me, was titled Restarting the Engine. Okay, I'll have a little look-see. So it's on the YouTube channel and it's called The Manly Way and I'll do some research on that. But I like the fly-on-the-wall stuff. Um, I like the inside look. And it's amazing how all of these sporting bodies now have realised that they're sitting on their own content. They don't have to wait for somebody to come and provide it. It's right there. So now they just film it and send it out and tell their own story. 0457 736 736 is my text message number or 1300 01 1170 on the open line right here on The Morning Show. 
Final hour of the program on this Tuesday morning. We'll be talking football. We'll be talking cricket. Still got plenty to get through in the next hour of the program. And that means that I can uh, now officially start to update the NBA for you. (laughs) So jump the gun a little bit earlier. Um, Still no scores coming through yet, but we've got the Pistons and Wizards and Lakers and 76ers on court. Same too with the Pacers and Trailblazers as well. Minnesota Vikings will play the Chicago Bears in an hour and 10 minutes' time will be the start of that one in the NFL. So the Vikings 6-5 and five against the 3-8 and eight Bears. Um, Simon Hill will be on the line very soon. Global game tonight from 8 o'clock on 11.70 and across the SEN network. So a bit to mop up both internationally and um, domestically as well. Now, Paramat says there's a bit of a different sort of view from his window. 20 degrees and showers in Perth this morning. Check the forecast again for tonight's match. There may well be some showers. Well, partly cloudy and possible rainfall up to two mils. So medium chance of showers, most likely during the morning and the afternoon. So showers are showers. Um, If it's raining at the moment, Paramat, thanks for the update. If it's raining at the moment, yep, move on. Move on, rain. (laughs) Get lost. And let's hope we get a good one in. Players that attracted you to your favourite sports or athletes that attracted you or why you were attracted to your favourite sports as a kid. Uh, Simon from Balgownie, good to hear from you, says Steve Morris, Stephen Hendry, Mark Richards, Greg Norman and Jeff Thompson. Okay. Yeah, some good names in there. I mean, trying to think who, who really attracted me into the world of golf at that time. I mean, the shark was, you know, the great white shark was front and centre when he hit the when he hit the headlines. Um, he was just an irresistible force. You sort of get mixed up, I reckon, once you get further down the history and you start to learn about players that came before him, then you, you go, hang on a second, was it them or was it, you know, I reckon it was probably the shark. Uh, Redman from Sefton is on the line. Good morning, Redman. How did you... Well, I know that you love your cricket, so how did you fall in love with cricket? Um, my dad took me to Sydney to the SCG to watch the World Eleven in 1970-71. Oh, and yeah. I saw Bishan Beatty and Derek Underwood and I spent 30 years bowling left-arm straight breaks. <laughs> Is that right? How old were you then? Oh, six or seven. I remember the yeah, day. okay. Well, it was, the, it was this time and back I'm in 1971. Yeah, that's awesome, mate. Yeah. That's absolutely awesome. And, and I bet you can... Remember the sights and sounds and smell and everything else that went with turning up there to the SCG as a young bloke? Yeah, I ate a whole cake, as my dad told me, Mum. <laughs> I've got some wonderful memories, mate. I appreciate that, Red Man. Uh, we were, when we were young blokes, we were um, members out there at the SCG. It didn't last long, but <laughs> we were mem- members, and I have very vivid memories of of walking in behind the ladies stand and then walking around in front or behind the members stand mostly where me and my brothers used to go and play handball or cricket out the back there so I, I know exactly what you're thinking and what you're saying but uh, a few years earlier than me mate but that was 
one heck of a way to be introduced to the world of cricket. And then isn't it amazing that at six years of age you can be so influenced that you continue on that path all those years later? Redman, I really appreciate your call. Thank you for that. Cricket, says Jason, was Steve War. Tennis, Boris Becker. And rugby league, Andrew Leeds. Unfortunately, played touch against him after he retired and he was no longer my hero, <laughs> says Jason. Thank you for that. PG, um, who was who was sort of opining about the fact that um, the Sharks haven't hit the market as, as much as he'd like, and now we know the kind of Tracy move and the swapsy that's going on there, but there's money being freed up. So I sent it back to PG and said, OK, just say you've now got at least a half a million uh, in the bank and probably more. He said, well, Matty, now you've given me some money. I think we need a very good young front rower, so I'd make a good go at Leo Thompson at the Knights. I think in the next two to three years he'll be number one prop. Not sure long, how long he's signed for. I'm sure Tommy will have a look at that, but, yeah, good call. Really good call. Paul says, has PBL given Gus Gould a salary cap exemption? That's 10 players just this year. Besides the 15 the previous two years, you can let as many New South Wales Cup go, players go as you want. The value of the current squad is over the cap and is a test team. By the way, Leo Thompson's contract until 2025. End of, Tommy? End of 2025? Yep. My theory is, says Paul, PVL's worried about AFL and wants all the Dogs fans back on NRL by their thousands. Because when the Dogs are doing well, all of Lakemba and Wiley Park are basically at the games every week. Thank you for that. Um, the Reptile says, OK, rugby league influenced by family, basketball says Jordan, and I played. So when I first read that reptile, I went, wow, you played with Jordan? <laughs> Jordan, comma, and you played. UFC, MMA, GSP, NFL, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, um, Dan Marino, and Golf the Shark. I reckon if I reckon the, the golf one's interesting. I reckon most of our listeners would say the shark. There were... Plenty before him and plenty after him, but I reckon most of those in the zone would, would start to say the shark. Crime scene, good to hear from you this morning. Terry Bradshaw, quarterback of the Pittsburgh Steelers, was the main reason that I started watching Gridiron in the 70s and Pittsburgh is still my team. There you go. You just attached yourself to a player and off you went. Matty, a poser for you. So I guess this is a bit of Curveball Tuesday. With most major sporting events for the year completed, what was your highlight? Oh, this one from Mark. For me, it was how the Matildas galvanised Australia at the Women's World Cup, even though they didn't win. What would yours be? So the major highlight of the sporting events of the year that we had, oh, there's no doubt the Matildas are right up there on that. Speaking of, Simon Hill is on the line. The global game, of course, tonight from 8 o'clock. Morning, mates. Um, talking about the Matildas, Sam Kerr's going to miss these matches against Canada. He's got a few out. Tony Gustafson, hasn't he? Yeah, he does. Um, and obviously the uh, natural replacements, or at least one of the options, would have been Holly McNamara, who's had such a great start to uh, the A-League women's season with Melbourne City. But unfortunately, she's done the dreaded ACL. We seem to be seeing a lot of these injuries at the moment, particularly in the women's game. Um, so she won't be uh, uh, given her chance to, to stake a claim. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if, if Caitlin Ford plays in that central position. Um, it, it's unfortunate, and you know, obviously Sam is a, is a key player, but uh, rather her miss 
a friendly series against Canada than um, you know the Olympic qualifiers early next year. Yeah. Um, speaking of Canada, I noted the story. So these will be the last matches for their legend, Christine Sinclair, who's going to give it away at the yeah. age of 40. 190 goals in 327 games. So uh, three Olympic medals along the way and the all-time record for international goals. That's a huge story in the world of football. Yeah, it's it's an amazing achievement by Christy Sinclair. Um, I was lucky enough to see her in a uh, final tournament in the, the Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. And, um, you know, in common with most of her teammates, she didn't have a, a particularly great tournament. She missed a penalty uh, against Nigeria in the first game. But she will go down as a legend of the game, not just the women's game, but, uh, you know, the, the game in total. And uh, I think it's going to be a long time before somebody breaks that international record, 190 goals. Wow. Uh, she's been going so long. I think some of her teammates at the World Cup weren't even born when she made her debut. So uh, she'll be missed. Uh, I'm sure she won't be lost to the game. Um, she's got too much experience. All right. Uh, Suncorp Stadium, the playing surface under question. Now, you've been for quite a long time calling for boutique purpose-built stadiums in Queensland and the surface of Suncorp comes under question after Brisbane's win over Perth. Both coaches criticised the turf. Both the men's and women's games were played there on Sunday afternoon. So what's the, what's the outcome here? Well, you know, the outcome is, is one that sadly many of us predicted. You know, it was only two or three months ago that Matildas played at Suncorp Stadium and we had uh, the Prime Minister there wearing the scarf and uh, all the politicians spruiking how brilliant it was and how much money the Matildas had brought into the economy via football. Um, and here we are a couple of months later and we're back to square one, quite frankly. Uh, and it's just not good enough. Um, you know, that surface was... Uh, not only poor, but it was dangerous for, for the players. Um, and their health and welfare has to be a, a priority. I'll also point the figure at the 2 o'clock kickoff for the men's game. I mean, quite why we're kicking games off at 2 o'clock mm. in Queensland uh, during, you know, ostensibly the summer. And we're not even at peak summer yet. Uh, just, just beggars belief, to be honest. So I, I think there's a few things to be looked at. Obviously, the longer-term solution, and I've said it many times, I think most people in, in the football community agree with me, is that Perry Park needs to be made into a home of football. Um, I, I would love to see all the stakeholders come together and work as one to try and make that happen. Um, the government's not going to pay for it in its entirety, but uh, you know, maybe if we can uh, structure some partnerships together along with local business and the government as well, uh, perhaps we can you know, build a modular-type stadium, which is very much in vogue. If you haven't seen it, by the way, Vancouver FC in Canada has built a modular, uh, I think it's a 10,000-seater stadium or 15,000, something like that, uh, for the equivalent of about $15 million, which is extraordinary. Um, so it can be done. Um, not every new stadium has to be uh, a whopping 60,000-seater with, uh, you know, bells and whistles and costing $3 billion, as the Gabba is, by the way, uh, or maybe $2 billion. Um, so it's... It's time we started to try and find some solutions. Otherwise, you know, World Cup or no World Cup, we just end up back at square one. And sadly, that's what many of us predicted. And here we are. And that uh, that um, stadium in Vancouver, that's where they'll play the second of the friendlies, isn't it? So is that the one you're talking about, BC Place? Uh, I, I don't know for sure, to be honest, Matt. I'm not even sure if it's ready as yet. But uh, anyway, look, it's certainly in the works. If the Matildas do play there, then we'll get a nice 
a nice look at it and, and see how it can be done. But uh, this is very much the future, I think, of, uh, of stadiums. And certainly for a code like ours in this country, um, where we need smaller stadiums, rectangular venues with roofs on, you know, it's not just about yeah. the rain, it's about the sun as well. Um, people are getting third-degree burns at Suncorp Stadium on on Sunday. Um, so it, it's time we started to try and find a solution, and, and maybe the solutions are not always the obvious ones. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that would be my plea, is, is to have some sort of a stadium strategy, which I, I see was echoed uh, by the Players Association yesterday. Mm. And just uh, a final one, reflections on Terry Venables. So we, we've heard from a range of footballing identities across so many different paths that Terry Venables um, went down. England, Australia, Chelsea, Tottenham, um, everybody's had their say. I saw Robbie Slater did an article in this morning in the in uh, the telly about that infamous night at the MCG and, and his reflections on all of that as well. So we're talking about somebody here who who quite literally had a footprint in so many different ways across a couple of different countries in the world of of soccer football. Yeah, look, at, you know, you can add Barcelona to that as well, where he won trophies. He was one of, uh, you know, the pioneers, I, I guess, in the 80s. Um, English coaches didn't tend to go abroad, but uh, Terry did, and he was successful with Barcelona. Um, he had a very global view of, of the sport. Um, he was a very charismatic guy. I was fortunate enough to interview him a couple of times and uh, you, you could certainly feel that charisma. Um, and he was a smart guy as well. You know, even as long ago as the 1960s, uh, he was sort of a limited company in his own right. He, he opened a nightclub. Uh, he wrote a television series called Hazel, which uh, older uh, British listeners might remember that went to air in the 1970s. You know, he wasn't just a, a football man. He was an entrepreneur, really. Um, but in terms of the game, his teams played super football. Uh, he probably didn't get the rewards in terms of trophies, or at least the number of trophies that he probably should have done. And of course, the great what if is, uh, is, you know, the 1998 World Cup campaign when Australia really should have qualified against Iran. Uh, had they done so at the outset of that golden generation, Kuehl, Viduka, Lazaridis, Robbie Slater, you mentioned so many good players. Who knows how far they might have gone at that World Cup, but, uh, Sadly, we'll we'll never know. But t- Terry will be missed. Mm. That's for sure. Yeah, I didn't know that about the about the Hazel connection. I'd heard. I haven't seen, but I've yeah. heard of the show. And there was yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's okay, right? So he was he was um, part writer with Gordon Williams. I'm just I've just googled it while you said it. So a Cockney private detective character created by journalist and novelist Gordon Williams and Terry Venables, who wrote under the joint pseudonym of P. B. Yule. Um, and then turned into go. 22 episodes. <laughs> there yeah. you go. Yeah, he was a clever guy, Terry. Very clever guy. <laughs> yeah. All right. I reckon. I don't think we've ever covered that ground before about athletes, uh, former athletes who've also written TV shows. But anyway, we cover new ground at all times here. Good on you, mate. Thanks for your time this morning. Have a good one tonight. Thanks, Matthew. All the best. Simon Hill, the global game. You can catch it right here, of course, on SEN, right across the network. Um, Terry Venables, a lot of people have had their say. Ange Postacoglu spoke yesterday about his passing. Mark Bosnich said he was a wonderful manager and an even better man. Um, Gary Lineker, of course, on social media. So the reaction, very, very widespread and in 
um, a Code Sports column this morning. Robbie Slater has reflected on that night back in the MCG that and the way that it played out in the dressing room and, and just his connection there um, with Terry Venables at that time. So we lose a great one at the age of 80. It's 20 minutes after 11 for our Sydney listeners, 20 after 10 if you tune in via the SEN app in Queensland. We're back after this break. Let me get to a couple of your text messages now that have been uh, just sitting here while we've been having a chat with Simon Hill and Lisa Kitely still to come after the 11.30 news. Matty, on hit and miss, the Bulldogs have been a hit mostly, but I would have made a play for Hamlin Ueli instead of Tracy. Also, I heard that there is a photo of Tommy at Perth Airport with a big red circle and line through it, <laughs> and written under it is no entry allowed, says Junior Smithy. Well, he got out. I mean, you know how particular they are over there in terms of biosecurity and everything like that, but he, that was quite a story to get out too, Tommy, wasn't it? You got yourself out, but it was costly. Uh, once out, by the way, Paramat from WA says, once our security forces were alerted to the fashion crimes being perpetrated by Tommy and his gang, you would have been well-dressed. Tommy's a, he's a stylish guy. The People's Democratic Republic's security forces of Western Australia rounded up the vagrants and frog-marched them to the airport for immediate deportation, says Paramat. The immediate deportation was a bit of a problem. Now, I'm not going to go into his problems, but let's just say that the... Uh, airline carrier that he was meant to be on royally stuffed up so if you're looking to get him out of uh, WA immediately there was a slight problem in that. <laughs> the security forces that you speak of might want to touch base with the airline companies uh, Frank in Brisbane says I thought financially netball Australia is not stable at present if this is the case wages are not a high priority sport is a business nowadays so the admin mightn't have the income to do a deal. That one from Frank. Yeah, look, um, the, the, the situation with the standoff and the players' agreement, the collective players' agreement, has been dragging on, collective player agreement, has been dragging on between the Australian Netball Players Association and Netball Australia itself. So that's one side of this issue. And, Frank, you're probably right. The, the details around that we don't have exposure to. They haven't been able to get a pay deal going. From what I've seen, the players have consistently said all we're after is a fair deal. They haven't been paid for two months. All we're after is a fair deal and one that will also be fair for players that come after us. Then you get to the situation of where they put their players in and former players in a situation on Saturday night at the Australian Netball Awards where they demanded that the national representative players had to go legally, were threatened legally to go as part of their obligation, which is, sure, you can do that, but in the scheme of things and where you're at, surely there's a better way around doing that than sending legal letters to say you've got to be here. And then on your side, as in... Netball Australia side to monumentally stuff up the invitation to Liz Ellis, a former captain, after who the Liz Ellis Diamond Award is named. Couldn't be any clearer. It's in the name of the award. You think that they could have got that part right. So on one side, you're right. There's the, there's the money situation that they're all trying to sort out and that's going to go back and forth. 
But how on earth can you go and say to Diamonds players, you have to be there and you've got to be there and this is the reason why, because legally you're told to be there and we don't give a stuff, you've got to be here. And then on the other side, send an email out to Liz Ellis and say, by the way, the, the awards are on coming up uh, and here's an email that we sent you on the same day where the deadline for RSVPs is over. I mean, how disrespectful is that? And dumb. And then when they say as a response to the email that Liz had written to say, uh, hang on a second, I, I get that I can now ignore the RSVP deadline, but given no previous notice, I've got another event on, so I won't be able to be there. They say, oh, apologies for the oversight. <laughs> like, come on, you've got to be better than that. When you're, in a, when you're in a scrap with your players, the last thing you need to do is fumble and bumble your way through something like an awards night and get one of your greatest offside with nothing more than an apology for an oversight. Surely you've got to do better than that. Yes, it's a complex scenario. I understand that and I get that. But surely you've got to be better than that. If you're running the organisation as CEO, you have to be better than that. Otherwise, you shouldn't be running it. Let's do the news. We'll talk WBBL with Lisa Kitely from the Sydney Thunder after this. The finals in the WBBL season get underway tonight over in Perth at the WACA ground. So it's the Sydney Thunder against the Brisbane Heat. The Thunder fourth after the regular season of matches and the Brisbane Heat finishing third. So it's the eliminator. And if you just need, I'll just give you a quick snapshot. You win tonight, you go and play tomorrow in the Challenger. And then if you win that, you go further into the final, which is where the Adelaide Strikers will be waiting. So that's the scenario. If you're either the Thunder or the Brisbane Heat and you want to win the title, you're going to have to win three games in six days. But that's one of the funky things about WBBL and the way that it's going to play out. I'm pleased to say that Lisa Kitely, the Sydney Thunder WBBL coach, is on the line. Good morning, Lisa. Hi, how are we going? I'm good, thanks. How are you going? How's the preparation going over there? I know it was a, a quick trip after the loss against the Sydney Sixers, but you're all settled in Perth and ready to rumble tonight? Yeah, we, we, we flew after the game, so we've made it a long day, but it meant we had um, a pretty good day recovery, light training yesterday and playing this afternoon, so hopefully we'll be good to go. It's an interesting one, isn't it? I remember when we were chatting at the sort of start part of the season and it was a good start by the Thunder and you did have a good first half of the season. The second half, not so good. So I wonder what your direction as coach is for the team heading into the finals now. There's, there's quite possibly three games left for your season. Is it a full reset or are there lessons to be learned out of the good half of the season and the not so good? Well, I think um, at the start of the season, uh, we had a slow introduction into the competition. So it gave us a really good time to prepare and, um, you know, plan for our upcoming games and get together as, as a group. Um, and the back half's been really, really busy, um, I suppose, making up for that slow start, for example, I don't think we had played a game and a lot of teams have already played three. Um, so it's been pretty hectic towards the back end and um, the way it's worked out, the back end, our last eight games have been against um, the top four teams, so to speak. So we knew it was going to be a probably harder back end. Um, and then once you start travelling and um, bouncing around 
state to state, you know, you know, it's obviously harder to win games away um, than at home. So you, I think that's WBBL. Most teams have had um, good periods and, and troughs within that, um, and we definitely have had a harder back end um, of the competition, which we knew was coming. Um, and I think if you turn up on each day and you, and you actually play well, um, uh, you've got a chance of winning. And I think we've been in games and just key moments we haven't been able to take at the back end, which we're hoping to turn around um, this afternoon. And I see Heather Knight made a good comment. She said, you know, look, you, you end up jumping on a plane and heading over. It could have been different if you beat the Sixers. You would have had a home final. Uh, but you've got to do it the hard and the long way. And she said, you know, if you if you said to us at the start of the year we're going to make the finals after winning just five games in two years, we'd have taken it. So now we've got to park what's happened and move on. It's interesting... From your point of view, I guess you like to set challenges for your players. Well, there's there's no bigger challenge now to win it than the way that you have to win it. So is that something that you've spoken about? You've got to knock over tonight, you've got to knock over tomorrow night, and then you've got to go to the Adelaide Strikers home, um, you know, in, um, in six days' time. Is that something that you've spoken about, or is it a really specific, specific focus on this afternoon and this evening? Oh, uh, look, look, there's no doubt that um, obviously dropping the game against the Sixers has made it really hard for ourselves. I think um, we, we've talked about when we've played our best cricket, um, we've gone in as underdogs um, and uh, we, we've played good cricket <laughs> when we've had that upon us and I think we're in that position now. I, I think um, you'd definitely say we'd be an underdog, same as Brisbane to win it, obviously having to win three back-to-back games in six ga- six days, but we have done it. Um, I think the main thing for me is getting back to how we've played our best cricket and what we've done to do that. And I think we've seen it at times um, over the last probably uh, four to six games and some games we've got our position to win a match um, and other times we've let that slip. So we know against all teams, um, you know, we've won games. Uh, and we can beat teams. It's just about putting it together on uh, on on today firstly to give yourself a an opportunity um, in the next game. But it's for us. It's about focusing back in on us what we've done well um, when we've played these teams to win. So we'll be looking to obviously score some runs on the whacker and being able to def- def- defend it. Uh, we know we've scored two hundred and nine runs against Brisbane before um, and I think we'll need to obviously um, score big runs today to um, be in the game against the Heat. Yeah, I was, I've been uh, doing a bit of a weather check and we've got listeners over there in Perthlease who have been giving me a weather check as well and obviously you're there but um, it looks okay. It looks as though you should be should be okay. A little bit of rain around but nothing... i tell you what, it's nothing nothing as bad as what's what may hit Sydney over the next couple of days so you're probably on the right side of the country. Just one on the season itself. There's been so much new about the Sydney Thunder and, and you're part of that. There's been a lot of newness in the Thunder group. Has it been a lot of fun? building that and I mean let's just take away the full-blown competitive nature of what you do week in week out but what's the squad been like and what's the feeling being like at the Thunder throughout this season? Yeah definitely we um, 
win or lose, we we definitely got a good group who are pretty balanced and um, sticking together. Um, so that's really good. Like as a coach coming to a team um, where they haven't been successful, I, I think that's always a challenge to the staff and, and to the players. Um, how well we've been able to gel. The recruits that we've got in the draft, um, our local players, you know, they're all um, challenges and, uh, you know, you want to put a good team on the park. Um, yeah, it definitely has been fun um, and we've kept that throughout the whole uh, WBBL and we'll be looking to do it at the back end of the season as well. So, um, yeah, it's been great. Um, we we just, you know, need to probably um, from this year think about you know the back end of the competition and uh, what we needed to do a bit better to you know get up the top of the table but it hasn't been and like Heather said I think most people wouldn't have probably had us in the finals this year so it's really nice to um, to get here and now we you know we want to continue the journey and complete um, the year as best we can so yeah a lot of fun um, players have been great They've been supportive, embracing each other and staff. And, um, you know, we just want to grow as a group and improve, um, you know, over the next two to three years. So we're competitive. And when teams are talking about um, who's going to win the comp, we just want people, you know, to mention our names. And if we're doing that, we're playing pretty good cricket and we've got a pretty good group of players who want to play for the Thunder and, and, you know, um, looking to engage our fans and make them proud of what we do. Yeah, and, and I did uh, bring this news earlier when it was released, the player of the tournament, so a special shout-out to Chamari Adipatu, who's had a wonderful season with the bat in particular, but also with the ball and has been a standout player. So wish you all the very best tonight. Um, let's see how, well, this afternoon, your time, tonight, our time. Let's see how it goes in the Eliminator, and thank you for your time again this morning. Good luck, Lisa. Thanks very much. So that's Sydney Thunder v Brisbane Heat tonight at the Wacker. So it's 7.40 Eastern Daylight Saving Time. And winner of that goes through to the Challenger, which will again be in Perth. That'll be tomorrow night. And then the winner of that will go through to the final. So Perth Scorchers waiting there tomorrow night. And then the final where the Adelaide Strikers, the defending champions, um, looking to go back-to-back for the first time since the Brisbane Heat did it in WBBL seasons four and five. They're into their third straight finals. And as I mentioned yesterday, all four remaining teams, so Sydney, Brisbane, as in Thunder, Brisbane Heat, Scorchers and Strikers, have all won the WBBL title before. They're all in the mix. Our thanks to Lisa Kitely there. Uh, We'll take a break, come back. I'll update the NBA for you, get more of your text messages, the thoughts on Netball Australia. Uh, Andrew from the Mortlake Tiger raises a good point that I think we should bring up as well, so we'll do that after this. Welcome back to the program. I'll play you some uh, audio from Andrew McDonald, Australian cricket coach, of course, who's back home. Andre Borovich is in charge of the T20 team, and Andrew McDonald has spoken to Jared Waitley on our sister station in Melbourne. So I'll just play you that in, in a minute or so. But Andrew, the Mortlake Tiger, to your text, you said, Maddie, didn't those netball players cost Netball Australia millions of dollars in sponsorship because they backed one player's moral high ground, the game's broke? and they played a major role in it. Um, Where they're at in terms of their finances, 
and, and look, you raise points there, but where they're at in terms of their finances is part of all of this story. And I, and I get that. And that's, that's an issue that absolutely can't be ignored in, in this whole thing. And like I always say with those collective player agreements and negotiations, we can only sort of comment and surmise what we, what we see and hear on the outside. And this scenario about what unfolded at the Australian Netball Awards and the treatment of Liz Ellis in particular is not a professional dealing at all, in my opinion. It's missing the mark. But, hey, that's the way that it's played out. There's much, much better ways of doing it. And when you're in the middle of this kind of stoush, regardless of who's in the right or who's in the wrong, where the money's coming from, you can't afford to make trip-ups like that. And you shouldn't make them anyway. I mean, who, who on earth would send an email to Liz Ellis on the day that the RSVPs are due? Uh, it, just why on earth would you do that? What type of organisation are you running if that's the best you can do? And you're running an organisation of a sport, sports built on its past players and fan input and greats of the game and respected voices. So you've got to take all that into account and they missed the mark horribly. Now they're going to have to work it all out. Now, to Andrew, uh, Andrew McDonald, I should say, speaking to Jared Waitley this morning, in particular, this is what uh, he had to say about David Warner and the summer that's ahead, which will be David Warner's last summer, of course, uh, in Australian test cricket. And he wants to bow out at the SCG for the Pakistan series. So here's what the Aussie coach had to say. Is Dave Warner going to be opening the batting in the Pakistan series? That'll all be decided later this week. What goes into that decision? Uh, like any other decision, working out who the best player is for, the, for that position at that point in time. And uh, I think with Test cricket, it's really clear you don't necessarily need to future-proof things too much. I think with a you know a cycle, uh, with a World Cup one-day cricket or T20, there, there's an element of, okay, what, what are we looking for to build to get to that grand final? Um, whereas we see every test, test match is important um, in terms of yeah, the direction of, of Australian cricket. So there's seven tests between now and India next year, which looks like the feature series. Um, do these three tests play a role in progressing to them or in what you've just said, are these just sort of isolated series? Oh, I think they're isolated series for me. I think every test match you, you sit down as a selection panel and you, you work out your best team and, and, and you go from there. So that's the bowling attack, that's the batting, the wicket-keeping. Every decision is in isolation for each test match and I think that's the way test cricket should be. Pick your best team at that point in time. There's no doubt that you will have a younger player from time to time that people will think that needs to play or get exposure to play. Um, but I think a lot of that always takes care of itself. So it's a watch this space. Pretty interesting chat. You'll be able to catch up on that on the podcast platform on SEN and just look up uh, Jared Waitley's show down there in Melbourne. But the next couple of weeks, we'll certainly know. A text from Stu from Cronulla says, why can't Golf Australia bring back the Australian Masters at Huntingdale? I, it's a good point. I think it was 2016 was the last time. 2015 or 16 was the last time. And then it sort of vanished. It was owned by IMG, if I'm right. Um, and then it just sort of vanished. You know, it, it didn't have a future, so money would have been behind that. Um, I don't know why it hasn't managed to come back in between now and then. If anyone knows, let us know. I'll, I'll do some digging around that. But the Masters was fantastic, wasn't it? And the yellow jacket that the 
champion would take home, and now we've got just the PGA and the Australian Open. So, yeah, that's been quite a few years in between drinks on that one, but I agree with that one. Some of the great names in Australian golf won the Masters along the way. Thank you for that. Um, We'll do some digging around that. Matt, my observation view from afar is that netball's been caught out big time by the other codes who successfully got their women's leagues off the ground and running, i.e. NRL, soccer, AFL and cricket, all with the strong existing organisation base of their previously just men-only comps. And netball, although a high participation sport, had a fairly good TV deal back when you could argue that it was the premier women's sport. Now that other codes are up and running, the money has been pared back and the other sports arguably are a better watch on TV discuss. Well, we're going to run out of time to discuss that one. Um, but, look, they've got an exclusive deal with Fox, have they not? I know that they generate a lot of traction on that side of it and Super Netball is a good product, but there's this disconnect at the moment between the player base and HQ and then a further disconnect between HQ and what seems to be just simple common sense. That's removed from the complexities of the deal that they're trying to do. That, that'd be my view from afar of it, mate, um, but thank you for that. All righty, we need to take our final break. Quick check of the NBA. That's what I need to do. Quick check of the NBA because they're absolutely underway. So, Pistons and Wizards. Wizards lead that that 46-42. 76ers are leading the Lakers in the the second quarter, 59-35, and the Trailblazers have a 43-37 lead over the Pacers. So, there you go. Quick NBA update. We'll come back and wrap it up. Uh, tomorrow on the show, Ian Smith's going to join us. Smithy is back from the ODI World Cup, of course. Morning's host over in SENZ. What a, I mean, what a bloody legend for a start. But how some of the calls that he had throughout the ODI World Cup. So we'll chat all things cricket with Ian Smith. So too the BBL and WBBL's general manager, Alistair Dobson. Um, Jess Sergis will be on the program and Matty Logue to talk basketball. So that's our lineup for tomorrow. Jimmy Smith is coming your way. He'll have Taryn Aiken, Daniel Garb, Jaleesa Raps, and then the run home with the boys again at Wahlburgers. It's circular. I don't think they've left. I think they just did the show there yesterday and just, just parked it in the corner and just been munching out ever since on burgers and chips and the lot. So they'll be back in action today for the rest of the week, in fact. So make sure you stick around. That's your lineup on SEN. We will do it all again tomorrow morning from 9 o'clock. Thanks for your company today. Have a great day, everybody. Bye for now.